Welcome to Ratchet Book Club, where we read hood classics and good classics. I'm Derek. 916-633-1537. Ratchet and Ratchet at gmail.com. Ratchet Book Club on Twitter. Ratchet Book Club on Facebook. As I said before, we're going to simply be continuing uh, chapter 5 until we get through this mug. Because it's huge and it, it's it's such a joy. It's just such a joy. So, with no further ado, back to chapter 5. Anigo. In the mountains of central Spain, set high in the hills above Toledo, was the village of Arabella. It was very small, and the air was always clear. That was all you could say that was good about Arabella. Terrific air. You could see for miles. But there was no work. The dogs overran the streets, and there was never enough food. The air, clear enough, was also too hot in daylight, freezing at night. As to Nigo's personal life, he was always a trifle hungry. He had no brothers or sisters, and his mother had died in childbirth. He was fantastically happy. Because of his father, Domingo Montoya was funny-looking and crotchety and impatient and absent-minded and never smiled. Anigo loved him. Totally. Don't ask why. There really wasn't any one reason you could put your finger on. Oh, probably Domingo loved him back, but love is many things, none of them logical. Domingo Montoya made swords. If you wanted a fabulous sword, did you go to Domingo Montoya? If you wanted a great balanced piece of work, did you go to the mountains behind Toledo? If you wanted a masterpiece, a sword of the ages, was it Arabella that your footsteps led you to? Nope. You went to Madrid, because Madrid was where lived the famous Yesti. And if you had the money and he had the time, you got your weapon. Yesti was fat and jovial and one of the richest and most honored men in the city. And he should have been. He made wonderful swords, and noblemen bragged to each other that they owned an original Yesti. But sometimes, not often, mind you, maybe once a year, maybe less, a request would come in for a weapon that was more than even Yesti could make. When that happened, did Yesi say, Alas, I'm sorry, I cannot do it. Nope. What he said was, Of course, I'd be delighted. 50% down payment, please. The rest for delivery. Come back in a year. Thank you very much. The next day, he was set off for the hills behind Toledo. So, Domingo, Yesi would call out when he reached Inigo's father's hut. So, Yesti, Domingo Montoya would return from the hut doorway. Then the two men would embrace, and Anigo would come running up, and Yesi would rumple his hair, and then Anigo would make tea while the two men talked. I need you, Yesi would always begin. Domingo would grunt. This very week, I have accepted a commission to make a sword for a member of the Italian nobility. It is to be jewel-encrusted at the handle, and the jewels are to spell out the name of his present mistress, and... No. That single word, and that alone. But it was enough. When Domingo Montoya said no, it meant nothing else but. Anigo, busy with the tea, knew what would happen now. Yes, he would use his charm. No. Yes, he would use his wealth. No. His wit, his wonderful gift of persuasion. No. He will beg, entreat, promise, pledge. No. Insults, 
threats. No. Finally, genuine tears. No. More tea, Yesty? Perhaps another cup, thank you. Then, Big, why won't you? Anigo hurried to refill their cups so as to never miss a word. He knew they had been brought up together, had known each other 60 years, had never not loved one another deeply, and it thrilled him when he could hear them arguing. That was a strange thing. Arguing was all they ever did. Why? My fat friend asked me why? He sits there on his world-class ass and has the nerve to ask me why? Yes, D. Come to me sometime with a challenge. Once, just once, ride up and say, Domingo, I need a sword for an 80-year-old man to fight a duel. And I would embrace you and cry, yes! Because to make a sword for an 80-year-old man to survive a duel, that would be something. Because the sword would have to be strong enough to win, yet light enough to not tire his weary arm. I would have to use my all to perhaps find an unknown metal. Strong but very light, or devise a different formula for a known one. Mix some bronze with some iron and some air in a way ignored for a thousand years. I would kiss your smelly feet for an opportunity like that, fat yesty. But to make a stupid sword with stupid jewels in the form of stupid initials so some stupid Italian can throw his stupid mistress? No, that I will not do. For the last time I ask you, please... For the last time I tell you, I'm sorry. No. I gave my word the sword would be made, Yesty said. I cannot make it. In all the world, no one can but you, and you say no. Which means I've gone back on a commitment. Which means I've lost my honor. Which means that since honor is the only thing in the world I care about, and since I cannot live without it, I must die. And since you're my dearest friend, I may as well die now with you, basking in the warmth of your affection. And here, Yesty will pull out a knife. It was a magnificent thing, a gift from Domingo on Yesty's wedding day. Goodbye, little Inigo, Yesty would say then. God grant you your quota of smiles. It was forbidden for Inigo to interrupt. Goodbye, little Domingo, Yesty would say then. Although I die in your hut. And although it is your own stubborn fault that causes my ceasing. In other words, even though you're killing me, don't think twice about it. I love you as I always have, and God forbid your conscience to give you any trouble. He pulled open his coat, brought the knife closer, closer. The pain is worse than I imagined! Yes, he cried. How can it hurt when the point to the weapon is still an inch away from your belly? Domingo asked. I'm anticipating. Don't bother me. Let me die unpestered. He brought the point to his skin. Pushed. Domingo grabbed the knife away. Someday I won't stop you, he said. Anigo, set an extra place for supper. I was all set to kill myself, truly. Enough dramatics. What is on the menu for the evening? The usual gruel. Anigo, go check and see if there's anything by chance in my carriage outside. There was always a feast waiting in the carriage. And after the food and the stories would come the departure. And always, before the departure, would come the request. We will be partners, Yesty would say. In Madrid. My name before yours on the sign, of course. But equal partners in all things. No. All right, your name before mine. You are the greatest sword maker. You deserve to come first. 
have a good trip back. Why won't you? Because, my friend Yesty, you're very famous and very rich, and so you should be, because you make wonderful weapons, but you must also make them for any fool who happens along. I'm poor, and no one knows me in all the world except you and Inigo, but I do not have to suffer fools. You're an artist, Yesty said. No, not yet. A craftsman only, but I dream to be an artist. I pray that someday, if I work with enough care, if I'm very, very lucky, I'll make a weapon that's a work of art. Call me an artist then, and I'll answer. Yesty entered his carriage. Domingo approached the window, whispered, I remind you only of this. When you get this jeweled initial sword, claim it as your own. Tell no one of my involvement. Your secret is safe with me. Embraces and waves, the carriage will leave, and that was the way of life before the six-finger sword. Anigo remembered exactly the moment it began. He was making lunch for them. His father always, from the time he was six, let him do the cooking. When a heavy knocking came on the hut door. Inside there, a voice boomed. Be quick about it. Anigo's father opened the door. Your servant, he said. You're a sword maker, came the booming voice. Of distinction, I have heard that's true. If only it were, Domingo replied, but I have no great skills. Mostly I do repair work. Perhaps if you had a dagger blade that was doling, I might be able to please you, but anything more is beyond me. Anigo crept up behind his father and peeked out. The booming voice belonged to a powerful man with dark hair and broad shoulders who sat on the elegant brown horse. A nobleman, clearly, but Inigo could not tell the country. I desire to have made for me the greatest sword since Excalibur. I hope your wishes are granted, Domingo said. And now, if you please, our lunch is almost ready, and I do not give you permission to move. You stay exactly right where you are or risk my wrath, which... I must tell you in advance, is considerable. My temper is murderous. Now, what were you saying about your lunch? I was saying that it will be hours before it's ready. I have nothing to do and would not dream of budging. There are rumors, the nobleman said, that deep in the hills behind Toledo lives a genius. The greatest sword maker in all the world. He visits here sometime. That must be your mistake. But his name is Yessi and he lives in Madrid. I will pay 500 pieces of gold for my desires, said the big-shouldered noble. That is more money than all the men in all this village will earn in all their lives, said Domingo. Truly, I would love to accept your offer, but I'm not the man you seek. These rumors lead me to believe that Domingo Montoya will solve my problem. What is your problem? I am a great swordsman. But I cannot find a weapon to match my peculiarities, and therefore I am deprived of reaching my highest skills. If I had a weapon to match my peculiarities, there would be no one in all the world to equal me. What are these peculiarities you speak of? The noble held up his right hand. Domingo began to grow excited. The man had six fingers. You see, the noble began. Of course, Domingo interrupted. The balance of the sword is wrong for you because every balance has been conceived for five. The grip of every handle cramps you because it has been built for five. 
For an ordinary swordsman, it wouldn't matter. But a great swordsman, a master, would have eventual discomfort, and the greatest swordsman in the world must always be at ease. The grip of his weapon must be as natural as the blink of his eye, and cause him no more thought. Clearly you understand the difficulties, the nobleman began again. But Domingo had traveled where other words could never reach him. Anigo had never seen his father so frenzied. The measurements, of course, each finger and the circumference of the wrist and, and the distance from the sixth nail to the index pad. So many measurements. And your preferences. Do you prefer to slash or cut? And if you slash, do you prefer the right to left movement or perhaps a parallel? When you cut, do you enjoy an upward thrust and how much power do you wish to come from the shoulder? How much from the wrist? And do you wish your point coated as to enter more easily or do you enjoy seeing the opponents wince? So much to be done, so much to be done. And on and on he went until the noble dismounted and had to almost take him by the shoulders to quiet him. You are the man of the rumors. Domingo nodded. And you will make me the greatest sword since Excalibur. I will beat my body into ruins for you. Perhaps I will fail, but no one will try harder. And payment? When you get the sword, then payment. Now let me get to work measuring. Anigo, my instruments. Anigo scurried into the darkest corner of the hut. I insist on leaving something on account. It's not necessary. I may fail. I insist. All right. One gold piece. Leave that. But do not bother me with money when there's work that needs beginning. The nobleman took out one piece of gold. Domingo put it in a drawer and left it without even a glance. Fill your fingers now, he commanded. Rub your hands hard. Shake your fingers. You'll be excited when you duel, and this handle must match your hand in that excitement. If I measure when you relax, there'll be a difference as much as a thousandth of an inch, and that will rob us of perfection. And that is what I seek. Perfection. I will not rest for less. The nobleman had to smile. And how long will it take to reach it? Come back in a year, Domingo said, and with that he set to work. Such a year. Domingo slept only when he dropped from exhaustion. He ate only when a negro would force him to. He studied, fretted, complained. He should have never taken the job. It was impossible. The next day, he would be flying. He should have never taken the job. It was too simple to be worth his labors. Joy to despair, joy to despair. Day to day, hour to hour. Sometimes a negro will wake to find him weeping. What is it, father? It is that I cannot do it. I cannot make the sword. I cannot make my hands obey me. I would kill myself, except what would you do then? Go to sleep, father. No, I don't need sleep. Failures don't need sleep. Anyway, I, I slept yesterday. Please, father, a little nap. All right, a few minutes, just to keep you from nagging. Some nights, a negro would awake to find him dancing. What is it, father? It is that I have found my mistakes, corrected my misjudgments. Then it will be done soon, father? It will be done tomorrow, and it will be a miracle. You're wonderful, father. I'm more wonderful than wonderful. How dare you insult me? But the next night, more tears. What is it now, father? The sword, the sword. I cannot make the sword. But last night, father, you said you have found your mistakes.
I was mistaken. Tonight I found new ones, worse ones. I am the most wretched of creatures. Say you wouldn't mind it if I killed myself so I could end this existence. But I would mind, Father. I love you, and, and I would die if you stopped breathing. You don't really love me. You're only speaking pity. Who could pity the greatest sword maker in the history of the world? Thank you, Inigo. You're welcome, Father. I love you, Inigo. Sleep, Father. Yes, sleep. A whole year of that. A year of the handle being right, but the balance being wrong. Of the balance being right, but the cutting edge too dull. Of the cutting edge sharpened, but that threw the balance off again. Of the balance returning, but now the point was fat. Of the point regaining sharpness, but now the entire blade was too short and it all had to go. All had to be thrown out. All had to be done again. 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 Domingo's health began to leave him. He was fevered always now. But he forced his frail shell on because this had to be the finest since Excalibur. Domingo was battling legend. And it was destroying him. Such a year. One night, Anigo awoke to found his father seated. Staring. Calm. Anigo followed the stare. The six-fingered sword was done. Even in the hut's darkness, it glistened. At last, Domingo whispered. He could not take his eyes from the glory of the sword. After a lifetime. Anigo. Anigo. I. I am an artist. The big-shouldered nobleman did not agree. When he returned to purchase the sword, he merely looked at it a moment. Not worth waiting for, he said. Anigo stood in the corner of the hut, watching, holding his breath. You are disappointed? Domingo could scarcely get the word spoken. I'm not saying it's trash, you understand, the nobleman went on. But it's certainly not worth 500 pieces of gold. I'll give you 10. It's probably worth that. Wrong, Domingo cried. It's not worth 10. It's not worth even one. Here. And he threw open the drawer where the one gold piece of lane untouched in a year. The gold is yours. All of it. You've lost nothing. He took back the sword and turned away. I'll take the sword, the nobleman said. I didn't say I wouldn't take it. I only said I would pay what it was worth. Domingo whirled back, eyes bright. You quibbled. You haggled. Art was involved and you saw only money. Beauty was here for the taking, and you saw only your fat purse. You've lost nothing. There's no more reason for you remaining here. Please go. The sword, the nobleman said. The sword belongs to my son, Domingo said. I give it to him now. It is forever his. Goodbye. You are a peasant and a fool, and I want my sword. You're an enemy of art, and I pity your ignorance, Domingo said. They were the last words he ever uttered. The noble killed him then, with no warning. A flash in the nobleman's sword, and Domingo's heart was torn to pieces. Anigo screamed. He cannot believe it. It had not happened. He screamed again. His father was fine. Soon they would have tea. He could not stop screaming. The village heard. Twenty men were at the door. The nobleman pushed his way through them. 
That man attacked me. See, he holds a sword. He attacked me and I defended myself. Now move from my way. It was lies, of course, and everyone knew it. But he was a noble, so what was there to do? They parted, and the nobleman mounted his sword. Coward! The nobleman whirled. Pig! Again, the crowd parted. Inigo stood there, holding the six-fingered sword, repeating his words. Coward! Pig! Killer! Someone tend the bay before he oversteps himself, the nobleman said to the crowd. Inigo ran forth and, standing in front of the nobleman's horse, blocking the nobleman's path. He raised his six-fingered sword with both his hands and cried, I, Inigo Montoya, do challenge you, coward, pig, killer, ass, fool, to battle. Get him out of my way. Move the infant. The infant is ten and he stays, Inigo said. Enough of your family is dead for one day. Be content, said the nobleman. When you beg me for your breath, then I shall be contented. Now dismount. The nobleman dismounted. Draw your sword. The nobleman unsheathed his killing weapon. I dedicate your death to my father, Anigo said. Begin. They began. It was no match, of course. Anigo was disarmed in less than a minute. But for the first 15 seconds or so, the noble was uneasy. During those 15 seconds, strange thoughts crossed his mind. For even at the age of 10, Anigo's genius was there. Disarmed, Anigo stood very straight. He said not a word, begged nothing. I'm not going to kill you, the nobleman said, because you have talent and you're brave. But you're also lacking in manners, and that's going to get you in trouble if you're not careful. So, I shall help you as you go through life. By leaving you with the reminder that bad manners are to be avoided. And with that, his blade flashed. Two times. And Inigo's face began to bleed. Two rivers of blood poured from his forehead to his chin. One crossing each cheek. Everyone watching knew it then. The boy was scarred for life. Inigo would not fall. The world went white behind his eyes, but he would not go to ground. The blood continued to pour. The nobleman replaced his sword, remounted, rode on. It was only then that Inigo allowed the darkness to claim him. He awoke to Yesti's face. I was beaten, Inigo whispered. I failed him. Yesti could only say, sleep. Inigo slept. The bleeding stopped after a day, and the pain stopped after a week. They buried Domingo, and for the first and last time, Inigo left Arabella. His face bandaged, he rode in Yesti's carriage to Madrid, where he lived in Yesti's house, obeyed Yesti's commands. After a month, the bandages were removed, but the scars were still deep red. Eventually, they softened some, but they had always remained the chief features of Inigo's face. The giant parallel scars running on each side, from temple to chin. For two years, Yesti cared for him. Then one morning, Anigo was gone. In his place were three words. I must learn. 
on a note pinned to his pillow. Learn? Learn what? What existed beyond Madrid that the child had to commit to memory? Yesti shrugged and sighed. It was beyond him. There was no understanding children anymore. Everything was changing too fast and the young were different. Beyond him, beyond him, life was beyond him. The world was beyond him. You name it, it was beyond him. He was a fat man who made swords. That much he knew. So, he made more swords and he grew fatter and the years went by. As his figure spread, so did his fame. From all across the world they came, begging him for weapons. So he doubled his prices because he didn't want to work too hard anymore. He was getting old. But when he doubled his prices, when the news spread from duke to prince to king, they only wanted him the more desperately. Now the wait was two years for a sword, and the lineup for royalty was unending, and yes, he was growing tired. So he doubled his prices again, and when that didn't stop him, he decided to triple his already doubled and redoubled prices, and beside that, all work had to be paid for in jewels in advance, and the wait was up to three years. But nothing would stop them. They had to have swords by Yesti or nothing, and even though the work on the finest was nowhere what it once was, Domingo, after all, could no longer save him. The silly rich men didn't notice. All they wanted was his weapons, and they fell over each other with jewels for him. Yesi grew very rich, and very heavy. Every part of his body sagged. He had the only fat thumbs in Madrid. Dressing took an hour, breakfast the same, everything went slowly. But he could still make swords, and people still craved them. I'm sorry, he said to the young Spaniard who entered his shop one particular morning. The wait is up to four years and even I am embarrassed to mention the price. Have your weapon made by another. I have my weapon, the Spaniard said, and he threw the six-fingered sword across Yesti's workbench. Such embraces. Never leave again, Yesti said. I eat too much when I'm lonely. I cannot stay, Anigo told him. I'm only here to ask you one question. As you know, I've spent the last ten years learning. Now, I've come for you to tell me if I'm ready. Ready? For what? What in the world have you been learning? The sword. Madness, said Yessie. You've spent ten entire years just learning the fence? No, not just learning the fence, Anigo answered. I did many other things as well. Tell me. Well, Inigo began, 10 years is what? About 3,600 days. And that's about, I figured this out once, so I remember pretty well, about 86,000 hours. Well, I always made it a point to get four hours sleep per night. That's 14,000 hours right there. Leave me perhaps 72,000 hours to account for. You slept. I'm with you. What else? Well, I squeezed rocks. I'm sorry. My hearing sometimes fails me. It sounds like you said you squeezed rocks to make my wrist strong so I could control the sword. Rocks like apples, that size. I will squeeze them in each hand for perhaps two hours a day. And I'll spend another two hours a day in skipping and dodging and moving quickly so that my feet will be able to get me into position to deliver properly the thrust of the sword. That's another 14,000 hours. I'm down to 58,000 now. Well, 
always sprinted two hours each day as fast as I could, so my legs, as well as being quick, would also be strong. And that gets me down to about 50,000 hours. Yesty examined the young man before him. Blade thin, six feet in height, straight as a sapling, bright-eyed, taut, even motionless, he seemed whippy quick. And these last 50,000 hours? These have been spent studying the sword? Inigo nodded. Where? Wherever I could find a master. Venice, Bruges, Budapest. I could have taught you here. True. But you care for me. You would not have been ruthless. You would have said, Excellent parry, Inigo. Now that's enough for one day. Let's go have supper. That, that does sound like me. Yes, he admitted. But why was it so important? Why was it worth so much of your life? Because I cannot fail him again. Fail who? My father. I spent all these years preparing to find a six-fingered man and kill him in a duel. But he's a master, Yessie. He said as much, and I saw the way his sword flew at Domingo. I must not lose that duel when I find him. So now I have come to you. You know swords and swordsmen. You must not lie. Am I ready? If you say I am, I'll seek him through the world. If you say no, I'll spend another ten years, and another ten after that, if it's needed. So they went to Yesti's courtyard. It was late morning. Hot. Yesti put his body in a chair, and the chair in the shade. Anigo stood waiting in the sunshine. We need not test desire, and we know you have sufficient motive to deliver the death blow, Yesti said. Therefore, we need only probe your knowledge and speed and stamina. We need no enemy for this. The enemy is always in the mind. Visualize him. Anigo drew a sword. The six-fingered man taunts you, yes, he called. Do what you can. Anigo began to leap around the courtyard, the great blade flashing. He uses the Agrippa defense, yes, he shouted. Immediately, Anigo shifted position, increased the speed of his sword. Now he surprised you with Bonetti's attack. But Inigo was not surprised for long. Again, his feet shifted. He moved his body a different way. Perspiration was pouring down his thin frame now, and the great blade was blinding. Yes, he continued to shout. Inigo continued to shift. The blade never stopped. At three in the afternoon, yes, he said, enough. I'm exhausted from the watching. Inigo sheathed the six-fingered sword and waited. You wish to know if I feel you're ready to duel to the death a man ruthless enough to kill your father, rich enough to buy protection, older and more experienced, and acknowledged master. Anigo nodded. I'll tell you the truth, and it's up to you to live with it. First, there has never been a master as young as you. Thirty years at least before that rank has been reached, and you're barely twenty-two. Well, the truth is you're an impetuous boy driven by madness. And you are not now, and you never will be, a master. Thank you for your honesty, Inigo said. I must tell you, I had hoped for better news. I find it very hard to speak just now, so if you'll please excuse me, I'll be on my... I had not finished, yes, he said. What else is there to say? I loved your father very dearly. That you know. But this you did not know. When we were very young, not yet twenty, we saw with our own eyes an exhibition by the Corsican wizard, Bastia. 
I know of no wizards. It is the rank beyond master and swordsmanship, yes, he said. But Steel was the last man so designated. Long before your birth, he died at sea. There have been no wizards since, and you would never in this world have beaten him. But I tell you this, he would never in this world have beaten you. Anigo stood silent for a long time. I am ready then. I would not enjoy being the six-fingered man, was all yes, he replied. The next morning, Anigo began the track down. He had it all carefully prepared in his mind. He would find the six-fingered man. He would go up to him. He would say simply, Hello. <laughs> you gotta you gotta forgive me for pausing on this part, y'all, but it's so freaking iconic. Like, it's so iconic. And for somebody to have written this in a book, not a movie, but in a book, the movie just co-opted it. You know, when I first was on Twitter, my very first Twitter name, when I started doing things other than my name and started goofing around with the usernames, was Anigro Montoya. And that went viral. Like, people still use that one. And it started with the book. Anyway. I, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm smiling just as I look at this. I'm, I'm grinning from ear to ear. And I'm trying to take the grin out of my voice. It's hard. He would say simply, Hello. My name is Inigo Montoya. You killed my father. Prepare to die. And then, oh then, the duel. It was a lovely plan, really. Simple, direct, no frills. In the beginning, Anigo had all kinds of wild vengeance notions. But gradually, simplicity had seemed the better way. Originally, he had all kinds of little plays worked out in his mind. The enemy would beg and weep. The enemy would cringe and cry. The enemy would bribe and slobber and act in every way unmanly. But eventually, these two gave way in his mind to simplicity. The enemy would simply say, Oh yeah, I remember killing him. I would only be too delighted to kill you too. Anigo had only one problem. He could not find the enemy. It never occurred to him there would be the least difficulty. After all, how many noblemen were there with six fingers on their right hands? Surely it would be to talk of whatever his vicinity happened to be. A few questions. Pardon, I'm not crazy, but have you seen any six-fingered noblemen lately? And surely sooner or later there will be an answering yes. But it didn't come sooner. And later wasn't the kind of thing you wanted to hold your breath for either. The first month wasn't all that discouraging. Anigo crisscrossed Spain and Portugal. The second month, he moved to France and spent the rest of the year there. The year following that was his Italian year, and then came Germany and the whole of Switzerland. It was only after five solid years of failure that he began to worry. By then, he had seen all the Balkans and most of Scandinavia, and had visited the Florinese and the natives of Gilder, and into Mother Russia, and down step by step around the entire Mediterranean. By then, he knew what had happened. 
10 years learning was 10 years too long. Too much had been allowed to happen. The six-fingered man was probably crusading in Asia, or getting rich in America, or a hermit in the East Indies, or, or, dead. Inigo, at the age of 27, began having a few extra glasses of wine at night to help him get to sleep. At 28, he was having a few extra glasses to help him digest his lunch. At 29, the wine was essential to help him wake up in the morning. His world was collapsing around him. Not only was he living in daily failure, something almost as dreadful was beginning to happen. Fencing was beginning to bore him. He was simply too good. He would make his living during his travels by finding a local champion wherever he happened to be, and they would duel, and Inigo would disarm him and accept whatever they happened to bet, and with his winnings he would pay for his food and his lodging and his wine. But the local champions were nothing. Even in the big cities, the local experts were nothing. Even in the capital cities, the local masters were nothing. There was no competition. Nothing to help him keep an edge. His life began to seem pointless. His quest pointless. Everything. Everything without reason. At 30, he gave up the ghost. He stopped his search, forgot to eat, slept only on occasion. He had his wine for company, and that was enough. He was a shell. The greatest fencing machine since the Corsican wizard was barely even practicing the sword. He was in that condition when the Sicilian found him. At first, the little hunchback only supplied him with stronger wine. But then, through a combination of praise and nudging, the Sicilian began to get him off the bottle. Because the Sicilian had a dream. With his guile, plus the Turk's strength, plus the Spaniard's sword, they might become the most effective criminal organization in the civilized world. Which is precisely what they became. In dark places... Their names whipped sharper than fear. Everyone had needs that were hard to fulfill. The Sicilian crowd, two was company, three was a crowd, even then, became more and more famous and more and more rich. Nothing was beyond or beneath them. Anigo's blade was flashing again, more than ever like lightning. The Turk's strength grew more prodigious with the months. But the hunchback was the leader. There was never doubt. Without him, Inigo knew where he would be, on his back, begging wine in some alley entrance. The Sicilian's word was not just law, it was gospel. So when he said, kill the man in black, all of the possibilities ceased to exist. The man in black had to die. 916 Ratchet and Ratchet at gmail.com, Ratchet Book Club on Twitter, Ratchet Book Club on Facebook. Leave a review on Spotify. It only takes 13 seconds. You can also leave a review on Podchaser. Copy and paste that in the Apple Podcasts and copy and paste that in the Good Pods. Um, you can donate to the show on Patreon at patreon.com slash single simulcast or on Buy Me a Coffee at buymeacoffee.com slash sscast. You can also utilize a tip jar on the Good Pods app. I love this book so much. And it, it it's actually making me feel good that I am loving reading this aloud because there are other books that I have that start off slowly. 
And I felt this book, the first chapter starts off slowly. Like, yes, it is an absolute love story in the first story, our first chapter. And then after that, it goes to action. But I have other books that start off slowly. But then so does every roller coaster. I can't wait to show y'all the future. Thank y'all so much for listening. I greatly appreciate it. Y'all be good. I'm going to holler at you later. Peace. Outro to Ratchet Book Club is by That Kid Garan and it's called Goodbyes. You can email him at tkgbeats94 at gmail.com for more information on how to lease this feat. This is Single Simulcast.